Welcome to All Points In Between, the travel podcast that takes a voyeuristic thrill in the macabre. Or does it? Perhaps we're visiting sites of historical death and mayhem to learn from them and respect the memories of those who lost their lives there. Because today we're going to be discussing the concept of dark tourism. You can join the conversation by following us on Twitter at AllPointsCast or by emailing allpointspod at gmail.com. Now today I'm joined by a genuine expert on our subject matter. I know, I'm, I'm quite surprised by that too, but there is a first time for everything. Leon Cooper is the author of a guide to dark attractions in the UK and will be sharing his thoughts on this phenomenon. So Leon, welcome to the show. Hello. Um, yeah. Um, just say, um, Martin. Um, my book goes by Leon McAnally because that is actually my um, surname. Sorry. Um, I do apologise that my profile on Facebook is um, Leon Cooper, but um, yeah, it'd be under Leon McAnally. Just to well, let you know. We're off to a great start. I can't remember the name of my guest. Oh well. That, <laughs> that's typical. That's typical of the production values of this show. So we'll move past it. Um, no, no, so- no worries. So I think a good place to start is just with some definitions. Um, when we're talking about dark tourism and obviously the subject of your book, what what do we mean by that term? Um, so dark tourism is kind of play any kind of places that people kind of visit um, that are linked to kind of death, suffering, um, tragedy that kind of have a historical kind of significance. Yeah, so it's really a travelling with the intention of seeing places where these perhaps quite unpleasant events have taken place. And I believe the term dark tourism is quite a recent term that's been coined, but as a phenomenon, it's quite old, is it? Yeah, I think like, I think it was first coined in 1996. Um, and I think it's more come to light more recently, I think, um, through like people wanting to find out history and things more, um, and also social media having an influence on like that term, but like it can date all the way back to people going to see gladiator battles in the Roman Colosseum to public executions in the Victorian period. Because it would be seen as a like family outing, um, <laughs> and people yeah. would go to an execution, and there'd be posters like that people could buy as um, like memorability and like the nos of what was used to hang the person could would be sold and stuff. So yeah, it, but then like as well, you've got like people traveling for pilgrimages to see like St Cuthbert when he was like people would travel as a tourist to go and see his remains so yeah it kind of really dates back like years and years and stuff I just as long as we've been traveling really or traveling for kind of tourism yeah yeah Yeah. as long as people kind of been really traveling and I, I don't like it's only just that term in 996 that it's been put to like what people going to see like these things and whatnot really yeah it's been this more 
clearly defined phenomenon that has been has been studied. I've certainly been taken on worse Tinder dates than a public execution before. But <laughs> yeah, I suppose it does show how these things change over time. Yeah, I think yeah, as like the world's kind of evolved, like so has like that market and uh, yeah like you said I think it's only recently yes it's been taking place but it's only recently that people have actually been yes studying the market looking at the motivations and the ethical issues behind art tourism and the ethical issues are certainly something I want to get onto when we're having this chat. but first things first I think we do need to talk a little bit about you and why I've invited you on. So can you just tell me a little bit about your book, A Guide to Dark Dark Tourism in the UK? So I kind of, well, kind of stems from that. I grew up in a historic um, town called Berry St Edmunds in Suffolk. Um, so I think like, I was influenced from a young age of history, um, from like um, St Edmund, um, the story of St Edmund and like Henry VIII. And then I think, like, I went to college and I took tours, um, travel and tourism. And that's when I first heard of the term dark tourism. And it was kind of, I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. Like, I like the history aspect and the, why people are traveling to kind of see it, like, see these places. Um, and then it was that I went on to uni to travel, study travel and tourism. And I was kind of focused a lot of my work. Um, around my assessments and everything around travel and uh, around dark tourism to kind of look at the motivations and the the kind of market of, of attractions and the ethical issues um and then attractions like the catacombs of paris um outfit and then you've got like ground zero as well and i was just like i think people are forgetting other other things that can be seen that can be related to dark tourism from like little memorials to other kind of events that have happened in the UK I think kind of they've been overshadowed so when leaving university I kind of went on my own path of exploring kind of what Britain kind of had to offer really yeah, so and, it's an academic interest that you've turned into a bit of a labour of love, really, to produce this. And yeah, it kind of explores, well, I did a final count, I think, was it last week, about 290 kind of attractions across the UK um, that my book will explore. Um, there's probably loads more that are not there. And that kind of just look, it looks at loads of different periods in time from like Roman periods to like the Victorian period and the medieval period and then looks at kind of different attractions around them kind of periods of time really and that can fall under the term dark tourism. So in your book it does really cover that whole wider range that you're talking about there it will cover things like more specific kind of cemetery tourism you know interesting sites through various periods of history and just going off what i saw when i was doing a little bit of research before this it looks like it really does cover the uk quite comprehensively because i can imagine that 
particularly if people are coming from overseas, there tends to be a bit of an itinerary of you go to London, you might go to Bath, you might go to Brighton, but that's about the limit. Whereas I suppose this book encourages people to explore a little more widely than that. Yeah, that is kind of the aim. So the overseas kind of sees um, traveller is somebody who um, doesn't ever live here and is looking at travelling to the UK is kind of see other things outside of London. I think that, like London, like you said, is marketed to overseas travellers quite a bit. So that's why loads of people travel into London and they forget that there's a lot more on offer outside of London. Um, so that's why I've created a book kind of to cover the whole of the UK to show that there's more outside of the usual, usual standard attractions that people go and see. A site for every kind of macabre individual. Of the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of, of the 290 sites that you do mention, how many of those have you been able to get to to go and visit? God, I haven't particularly accounted, uh, to tell you the truth. I'm just <laughs> ticking them off one by one. I've visited quite a few now. I want to say 20, 30 kind of places I've like ticked off, but it's kind of, as I've been writing, I've kind of pushed myself to kind of visit more and more and more to get more of an understanding from a tourist point of view as well as I'm writing because like there's a um in Gloucester there's a little um there's a jail that's called Little Dean, Dean Jail when I was writing oh, yeah. about it and I was just like I think it's really that kind of attraction would be really important to write about from a tourist kind of view and what so I went down there to gather more of an understanding of why people may want to go and visit and hopefully intrigue people to want to go and visit that place really yeah yeah and like you say you often get a bit of a different experience from actually being somewhere as opposed to perhaps writing about somewhere that you're not personally familiar with i found that i've just made a couple of episodes on tirana in albania and as part of that i was talking quite a lot about the bunkers that were built in the country at the time and there's one in particular that's been conversed into a museum that's all about the repression that took place during the communist era and yeah just being able to be there in person it does make a difference to your experience of that history yeah i think yeah it does make a difference it's easy to enough to open up a kind of laptop and read about a place um and understand it but to immerse yourself in that place and get more of an understanding I think it's good to kind of visit these places I think also they say like yes the information is now at the touch like a hand like you at the touch of your hands the end day everybody can open up a laptop and find the information but I don't think that's correctly true like I found from doing research i've contacted places or like visited places and the information on the internet is not correct um and i've gone back and i've spoke to the attraction and they've either told me like information has been recently updated because the information that we put out is not correct and that the information that you've read obviously needs to be updated 
Um, so yeah, I think it's really it has been important for me to go and visit places and kind of individually contact them places in writing my book as well. Yeah, and do you have a particular favourite place that features in the book? I can't, I can't say that, like because the places, like you said, I've covered a broad range. There's different reasons why I may go to one attraction to another attraction and a different experience. Like, just an example, like I wouldn't go to Little Dean Jail um, in Gloucester to the same reason I wouldn't go to the same reason of going to Princess Diana's grave in all four pin Northamptonshire. They're kind of totally different reasons and totally different experiences. So I can't say there's a place that particular kind of comparing apples and oranges to try and pick a favorite. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Yeah, like a few people have asked me that, and I just I I can't really because I have it's totally different experiences I've definitely had and came away. And I suppose what you're saying there about having these different reasons for going to different places it it does follow on. Well, my next question does follow on quite nicely from there. Just thinking about this idea of dark tourism more generally, what is it about these places where these awful things happened that you think keeps drawing us to them and always has done throughout the history of us travelling? I think it's gathering an understanding of what's happened Um and taken place um, to understand similar events that may happen now or take place or take place in the future. Um, it kind of, that strings into the motivations of why people visit these places because like each, each individual has different reasons. It may be because a relative was involved in that significant disaster or, something that happened and they want to feel a connection to their loved ones other people may explore that place to gather a more of an understanding so yeah it kind of depends on each individual's kind of motivation really behind why they want to visit these places yeah i think that's probably quite a good answer to that question really because i suppose as as with any other type of travel we all have our different motivations for why it is that we do the things we do. About 15 or so years ago, I read this travel book by Dom Jolly, who is the guy who made Trigger Happy TV. And he wrote this book called The Dark Tourist, where he went to these different destinations like the killing fields in Cambodia, the exclusion zone in Chernobyl. He went to North Korea and just in anticipation of this episode, I did decide to go back and read that again just to kind of get his mm. thoughts on where that appeal comes. And for him, there was this recurring theme that came up that he was really looking to get off the beaten track with quite a lot of his travel. So he talks about this idea that some of these dark places, particularly when he was writing this, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, were places that not a lot of people went to. I don't think you can say that as much about Cambodia these days. But mm. 
the theme that he kept coming back to was that once a place got his first Starbucks, it tended to lose its appeal as a travel destination for him. And he found that these places that have that darker history tend to tend to stay a little bit more covered for a little while longer. So I thought that was quite an interesting observation. And this is now where we're going to move the conversation to the bit that I find really interesting when discussing dark tourism. Mm. So in August 2015, a museum opened in Whitechapel in East London. While the original proposal had been for the Museum of Women's History, people around there were surprised when the covers were removed and it was actually called the Jack the Ripper Museum. And the focus of it was very much on the crimes of this 19th century serial killer. Um, mm. and there, was, there was a lot of controversy around the museum as it was clearly intended to be a thrill attraction. So something along the lines of the London Dungeon, which many people in the city centre will be familiar with. Visitors could pose for photographs with actors playing Jack the Ripper and his mutilated victims, for example. And the site was, well, the museum was the site of regular protests by locals and women's rights groups. And yeah. As I mentioned, there is this museum in the city centre called the London Dungeon. I mean, calling it a museum is probably stretching that term to breaking point. It's more of a kind of thrilling horror show that's grounded in a little bit of history. But it is... Yeah, yeah. But it is a really popular family attraction it's spawned franchises in other tourist towns in the uk and i've got my own pet theories on why one of those things is controversial and the other isn't but i just wanted to hear your thoughts really on what makes some types of dark tourism okay whereas other sites perhaps feel a little bit tasteless and controversial it comes down to the attraction's kind of responsibility. Like you said, with the Jack the Ripper Museum, angry by it because obviously it was said that it was obviously going to be something not that what it was meant to be, really. Um, and it was meant to have more of a lot of like the women's women and stuff um, than Jack the kind of the Ripper. Um, and obviously, I think it was quite real. I like have read about it and seen the articles and everything. And it, I think a lot of people was quite shocked. Obviously, when it was obviously the sh front came down, obviously it was shown that it'd be a Jack the Ripper museum. And you look at like the London dungeons. Um, I do agree with you. I think it's more of a theatrical kind of experience. It and it depends kind of how who it's being aimed at really um because obviously they're trying to tell kind of historical events through a kind of eye-catching kind of kind of way yeah like going outside of london there's a museum called sick to death in york that i could use is a better kind of example and that looks they've taken their attraction and it, it is a kind of gruesome kind of attraction of looking at death and disease over time but that's steered at a child like to educate children of that period of time 
um, to kind of capture them to interest children, really. So it's it's how the attraction evolves itself and marks itself to a particular audience. Um, yeah, so how, it, how it's pitched and I suppose something like, you say, the Sick to Death Museum, the London Dungeon, perhaps falls a little bit more into that, a little a little bit similar to the Horrible Histories books and TV show. Yeah. Whereas something like the Jack the Ripper Museum is perhaps going for something a little bit more exploitative, really, in terms of its pitch. So when you were writing the book, were there any sites that you felt a little bit uncomfortable including or was there anything that you left out because you thought drawing attention to them might be inappropriate? I think one of the places that kind of I felt a bit uncomfortable about writing about um, and it was, well, there's kind of two really that that some people are aware of one of them that I'm um, featuring in my book is... Cromwell, Cromwell Street in um, Gloucester, um, where Fred and Rosemary West um, did them awful um, mm. murders um, of them women. Um, and obviously, because people do go there to visit where the house used to be, and people do go there to visit. And I did feel a bit uncomfortable kind of writing about it, because I was like, I do feel like, I'm exploiting those who have obviously been killed, um, but yet people are still going to visit it. And I was just a bit like, oh, like, should I have this in my book or shouldn't I? But then I kind of looked at it. It's not about sometimes exploiting those who have been suffered, like them young um, girls who were murdered and stuff um, by them awful um pet it's kind of learned it was it's what I look at what has been learned from that situation that's happened and what's changed and stuff and whatnot do you but do you feel that it really adds to people's learning to go and visit a place like that I think particularly with Cromwell Street there has been an effort to avoid it turning into a place that people visit so yeah the house where all this happened got knocked down generally attention isn't really drawn to it do you do you feel like there is any benefit that people get from going to a place like that yeah i think so like i still did because i went down there on the way to little dean jail and you kind of, like, I don't know, I didn't know what to really expect because obviously, like, I knew they knocked down the house and they'd made, obviously, a walkway through it and stuff and whatnot. And it just goes, it, it kind of just show you, like, yeah, it's a normal street. And obviously, you think, God, like, these neighbours, like, around weren't kind of aware that these were going on. But I do, I do recall, like, one of the gentlemen who lived in the house, not me, but somebody else went down and he was there and the gentleman came out of his house and he was just like oh like you're what you're doing like you're taking pictures and it he was turned around to him and said like yeah obviously I'm aware obviously of what happened here and the gentleman was like yeah like I worked with Fred West um and it 
and he was a bit like obviously shocked and I think like that obviously it gives you an understanding that they, they didn't know what was going on they didn't know anything that was going on and it just seemed as normal like right next door to that house is a church like and you just think god like nobody picked up on any of this what was going on like and so really the the act of visiting there really just hammers home the sense that it is a, an incredibly normal place really where this awful thing happened yeah yeah it did that kind of did hammer home yeah i think when like i did visit i did realize like yeah this is just a normal kind of street there's nothing different about it and you do think god like you just don't know what's going going on behind closed doors as they say but it's obviously it's important it makes me realize it's important that obviously these things shouldn't happen but when they do happen that we do learn from them and that like the systems that we have are obviously uh, obviously people are checked up upon and obviously they're done and stuff and they're not just brushed under the carpet and stuff because there was a number of when I was obviously researched because I did loads of research into obviously the story because I want like obviously what happened to make sure obviously I read it right and it kind of it made me realize god like there was loads of times that incidents of what happened with Fred West loads of situations that kept on being brushed under the carpet and it makes you think now like that situation if that was to happen now that situation wouldn't have be brushed on the carpet that would kept on being looked into um so things have changed from scenarios happening previously and whatnot. In other places, I put the COVID memorial wall in um, my book. Um, and obviously, that's a really, obviously, relevant issue. And obviously, it just happened, obviously, um, COVID pandemic. Um, and obviously, we're still feeling the effects. And I was a bit unsure about putting that place in my book because of how recently, obviously, it's happened. But I kind of looked at it that people obviously do visit it on a daily basis. Um to put names of loved ones on the wall and um, to be remembered. And it's kind of about then people obviously put this um, COVID wall together um, to remember the ones that obviously have been lost and continue to be lost, obviously, from COVID. And that's a kind of parliament only across um, the Thames River from that. So kind of it's like showing to them, like, obviously you need to realise, obviously, where the mistakes were made and yeah. as the government, like, need to, yeah, need to realise where the mistakes happened to be learned from the mistakes of that, obviously, the COVID pandemic. So, yeah, that was kind of another place. I was, because uh, of how recent, obviously, it's happened, because I think it's just sometimes t there needs to be a time that's left before people start visiting these places, like, an example like the Grenfield fire disaster that happened it was a, it was only like a couple of weeks later a couple of coachloads of Chinese tourists pulled up outside obviously the charred building to take photos yeah. and the locals were obviously really like angry angry and as, as you would be yeah 
yeah, like any anybody would be, because obviously they were they were still grieving. There needs to be that time where it's they've got the process of grief, and sometimes it needs that. There needs to be an established memorial that obviously people can visit and pay their respects, not to be turning up to a situation that's just happened and people are obviously still in the process of grief and angry and somebody snapping away on a camera at the end of the day. Yeah, and I, I think that is where that line is really because I, I certainly wouldn't see having the COVID wall as being at all controversial to include because it is somewhere that was designed to be visited and as a place where people can reflect on the events of that. Whereas visiting the Grenfell Tower and taking selfies while it's still smouldering is not designed for that. It's going and engaging with something as it's going on. I think another quite common example that you see of things like that is almost this concept of slum tourism that you get in some countries where you know, mm. bankers will go on tours of favelas and places like that. And it's almost going there in order to watch suffering occur in real time, which I think is beyond what would be acceptable dark tourism, in, certainly in my books. Yeah, I do think the lines of dark tourism are becoming blurred. This more this morning did a interview on this morning about dark tourism, and I'm trying to say, come it kind of really angered me because they made reference of people are going to New York to pay to be kidnapped for a weekend, and they kind of classed it as dark tourism on there, and I thought no. That's not what dark tourism is at all. That's no. kind of a real kind of experience you're looking for. Like, yeah, I, I'd associate that more closely with, say, doing an escape room or going bungee jumping or something. You're paying for an experience rather than it being a specific site where something's happened that you're going to see. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do agree with you. Yeah, it isn't you're paying for an experience, not to kind of gain knowledge and learn and stuff and understand what people have been through and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, my own extremely non-expert theory is that there's broadly two types of dark tourism. So there's the first kind where you'll visit a site of a catastrophe or crime, and the main aim of it is to either understand the events or pay respect to the victims and i think something like the covid wall for example would fall under that or mm. you know at the more extreme ends things like going to auschwitz or the killing fields because whatever other reason people have for going to them they're certainly not going expecting a good time but the other type of dark tourism is the one where we've been talking about line potentially being there so it's the ones where they are designed to thrill and be enjoyable like say the um, stick in york or jack the ripper museum and i think for me where that tastefulness line sits is yeah based on its time and its relevance to the present day so 
for example, at the London Dungeon, the idea of the king hanging, drawing and quartering a lord who's been scheming against us is mm. pretty alien to people in the modern day. And kind kind of feels divorced enough that we can get a bit of titillation from it. But given that we still live in a world where exploitation and violence against sex workers is depressingly common, something like the Jack the Ripper Museum just feels a little bit tasteless when it's fetishised in that. Yeah, yeah, I do agree. Yeah, sometimes it can be too soon and it depends on the relevance of that now as well um i do think as well that it kind of it depends how that attraction is marketing itself like i said if theatrical spirit experience are they telling you the actual historical information or is that being exaggerated as well um, yeah. I think that's what needs to be remembered. Like, I think some places you go to and they will miss out information and stuff and that not tell you. And it seems that people are coming away and can't believe that obviously a situation's happened, but there's a, there's more information to that situation that maybe is not being told to you. I think it's down to the attraction to make sure that they're telling the historical facts and obviously make sure they're probably giving detailed information as well and um, so the tourist is not left walking away and can interpret it as they wish to interpret it really yeah so just making sure that the key points are being get cut across by the location or the attraction mm. um okay i think that covers off a lot of what I wanted to talk about. Um, I think we've given a fairly good overview of the concept of dark tourism, some of the key discussion points around the subject. Are there any final thoughts from you at this moment, Leon? Um, anything else that you think we should be touching on in the world of dark tourism? Um, no, I think we've covered quite kind of a bit, really. I think we've covered kind of quite a lot. Um, I just think that it's as much as it is down to the attraction to make sure they're marketing it right and giving the right information. I think it's also important that the tourists obviously remembers to follow guidelines and be respectful when they're visiting these oh, places absolutely. as well um it's a kind of two-way street i think i think it's yet yeah, down to the attraction to obviously probably even highlight the guidelines um but also it's down to the tourists to make sure they're being respectful and stuff um because obviously these attractions obviously have got where significance obviously because they're linked to death and obviously people suffering yeah and i think there's usually a bit of a common sense approach to that in, in terms of how you behave in these places and does essentially like come to down think to, so. <laughs> um yeah yeah common sense turns out not to be as common as you'd expect but yeah there you go and where can people find your book i i don't believe it's out at the moment but if people want to pre-order whereabouts can they find that 
Um, my illustrator is working on an Amazon page that would be on sale through Amazon. Um, that is due to be in October, um, a week before Halloween. Um, the planned release date is, so I'm hoping like a week before October. Okay, and um, can you just remind us of the name of it, just if anybody's looking for it? Yeah, a guide to dark attractions in the UK. Yeah. There you go. Nice and simple. Should be good for your search engine optimization. that. <laughs> so that's great. Thank, thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat with me. If you want to stay in touch, listeners, and get in touch with any thoughts that you have, or if you want to guest on a future episode, you can contact me by Twitter at allpointscast, or you can email allpointspod at gmail.com. If you would also like to give us a quick like on whichever podcasting app you use, it helps us because of clever algorithm things that I don't really get. And also subscribe while you're there so that you don't miss an episode because the release schedule tends to be a bit haphazard with me. But that is everything for now. Thank you very much for joining me today, Leon. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'll speak to everybody soon. Bye.